0: Welcome to the NFT Now podcast.
1: Every Wednesday, we speak with trailblazing artists, collectors, and technologists about how NFTs are redefining the creative economy and how you
0: can be a part. I'm Sam Heisel. And I'm Matt Medved, and we're on a mission to empower the creators of culture.
1: Welcome to the show. Matt, what's
0: happening, man? How you doing today? I'm doing great, Sam. How about yourself? Oh, I'm excited. We have a very, very special guest today, who we got lined up. We've got Sarah Zucker, also known as The Sarah Show. Um, she is an OG crypto artist who got into the space in 2019. Uh, super distinctive style, analog video effects, real throwback film, uh, composites, internet era imagery. She made her name on Tumblr and Giphy before making the transition to NFTs. Um, you know, she's, she wears a lot of different hats and uh, we're really excited to have her on.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think really want to highlight and do so in this episode that she's been in the game as, I mean, she's been creating digital art and content for a long time. And with regards to crypto art and NFT since 2019, so really is a bit of, uh, to use her words, a a wizened elder, or or so they call her. Um, And with that, she has a very, very strong read on the community and very unique perspectives on on how to properly engage. I think we've seen a lot of new entrants into the market as a result of the recent hype. We've seen lots of celebrities entering the space. And I think she does a great job calling it like it is, protecting the the, the beautiful community that, that really is creating the snowball effect for growth and upholding the values that are continue to drive that growth and, and protecting them against um, what some might consider to be low effort NFTs by other celebrities. And I think on the flip side, she also does a great job at explaining how these new entrants can really tastefully engage with the community and can contribute and can continue to leverage their influence to to uplift this beautiful movement that's happening. So really excited about this episode. Appreciate you all for tuning in. If you haven't already, definitely go to nftnow.co and sign up for our newsletter every single week. Um, We're sending out an email that has some favorite drops, commentary, insights, analysis. Uh, So want to make sure you're not missing out there. But without any further ado, Sarah Zucker.
0: We've got Sarah Zucker here. Um fun story, Sarah and I actually uh graduated Northwestern the same year. Uh so it's been a little bit since we spoke and you know, you were early to crypto art back in 2019. I'd love to hear about uh your journey to the space, what drew you there and and what uh made you believe in the technology's potential.
2: Sure. Well, uh I won't purport to be like an uh early crypto adopter necessarily. Like I missed the Bitcoin train for sure. Um, but I did get into Doge in 2013, which I think definitely set the stage. Um, it's funny that it reminds me a lot of like how people are getting really into uh, Hick at Nunk right now. that's on Tezos. Like, I, I definitely can relate to that because I I know for me it was like Bitcoin was like a little too scary. Like the stakes were a little too high. Like I'm a very technical person, but... Um, something about when Doge emerged, I was like, okay, this is just, these are worth like a fraction of a cent. Like, I'm really fascinated by this. Let's play around with it. Um, and I think that's what I see sort of happening with like these Tezos-based blockchain, uh, you know, crypto art platforms right now. Um, but yeah, so I was I was like interested in the technology way back when. Um, I have been a photographer since I was a teenager. That was really like my main artistic jam for a good decade there um you know was just was super into photography self-taught uh but that transitioned into video around like 2011 and specifically like gif art uh I was very active on tumblr did a lot of work for tumblr um at the time people thought it was like nutty they're like what do you mean animated gifs like from the 90s what (laughs) you're specializing in that but I kind of just had this feel of like everything about my background in photography and what I was doing with video. I was like, no, you guys trust me, like gifts are having a comeback and they sure did. Um, So that's really sort of like my practice that, that led me to um, around 2015, I got specifically into analog video. uh, And that's, you know, what I think people who are familiar with my work really associate me with um, is the use of like VHS and vintage technologies and that's its own, you know. Anyone who's into like synthesizers and stuff like that would would can relate, right? Of like, once you start getting into gear, it's like a never ending pursuit uh, of playing with playing with these toys. So yeah, that all just kind of coalesced in a way where um, I used to curate a show in Los Angeles. Um, and I would really advocate any artist looking to kind of make their way in the world, like be a curator. It's it's a great way to meet people and get your own work out there. This show was called Prism Pipe. So I met like truly so many, like the world's best GIF artists and video artists and motion artists, um, so many of whom are in crypto art now. And by being connected to that web, uh, that is how I came to know about crypto art, really. Um, There were there were like whisperings of it in around like 2015, really right when Ethereum rolled out. A lot of the media art circles started talking about, you know, this blockchain is different from Bitcoin. It has this thing, these smart contracts that could have these applications beyond just being a currency. And there was a lot of talk about it. And um, because I'd had this background in photography I was very accustomed to the idea of editions and the idea of like what a print is and how it relates to the original of a, f- of a photograph or an image and how that market works. And so when I heard about this Ethereum thing, I was like, wow, this seems like this could be a way to translate the fine art market to the blockchain and in a way that would then make uh, Screen based art, you know, video art, GIF art, 3D art, all these things, we could now create editions of them the same way a photographer could create an edition. And so uh all those various factors coalesced in early 2019 that an artist who I had uh, curated, who I had included in my show Prism Pipe, Yura Marone, was started posting. You know, I followed him on social media and he started posting. Uh, hey come come look i'm I'm selling this gif as a single edition on super rare and I was like what what is is this it is this the, is this the thing that that I heard people like whispering about four four or five years ago and I checked out super rare and I was like, oh shit it's it it's it it's here like someone someone figured it out how to do this and so applied for super rare got got in and started minting um I just celebrated my two-year. Crypto art anniversary on April 4th. So,
0: congratulations.
2: Thank you. Yeah. And I've been tumbling down the rabbit hole ever since, right? You know, I've, it's weird that it's something I've only been doing for two years, like in the grand scheme of my life. That is not that long. and yet people speak of me as like one of the wizened elders of this space, you know? Um, and I don't take it, right? Like, I don't, I like being an expert, you know? And I think part of being an expert is knowing when to admit you have no fucking clue. <laughs> you know, I am always very open about when it's like, your guess is as good as mine, guys. I don't know. This space changes every day, uh, every hour even. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's been uh it's been very rewarding to me to, to have not just obviously this has been an incredible pursuit for my career, but just for me as a person, I find it very, it's a very enriching network of people. And it's very personally enriching for me to be in this position of like, I've been through it, guys, like I've seen some things, <laughs> like, let me tell you my tales of how this has all gone um, and to have people actually be very vested in listening to that.
1: Mm-hmm. It's
2: been
1: cool. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, no, it, that is amazing. And I, I do think in like NFT years, yeah, definitely are the, the wise and elder for sure. So it's, <laughs> it's amazing to see being the wizened elder. Um, when you think about the, the boom that we've really seen over the course of the past couple of months and a lot of the mainstream attention, what do you, what's it been like to experience it? Do you feel like this was kind of a, a long time coming and still just a, a taste of what's to come or kind of what's been your general take on the fact that there's been this massive hype cycle?
2: Maybe this is just because I've done my fair share of psychedelics in my time, but I I really view the whole thing as like a fractal, right? Like this is a very fractal experience uh, with each little node is a microcosm of the greater thing, right? So in certain ways, it's like the early, the early time has passed us. We've we've passed that. We've passed the the OG era, so to speak, in a way. And yet we also are. Every single person involved right now is also super, super, super duper early to what this is as a technology and how it relates to humanity on a greater scale. So, the thing about it, you know, is that um, in terms of like when this all happened, you know, I've been, I've said this in other, other moments I've had to kind of get on my soapbox that like I think the rise of crypto art and, and as we now come to call it, just NFTs in general. Is inextricably linked to COVID. It's inextricably linked to the fact that everyone was forced inside. Everyone in the world lost their shit and was like, oh my God, how do we do this? How do we be inside for a year? And us internet people were like, hey man, I'll show you. Like, (laughs) I know how to be inside and on. I, I live half my life in the metaverse, right? Like, I, I for a long time have been very accustomed to like not that I don't love going outside, getting a sandwich, seeing friends, all these things, but I like I also am have been plugged in for a while, and so um, I think that this sudden emergence of interest in NFTs and value of NFTs is linked to the fact that so many people who otherwise wouldn't have checked this out kind of got pushed there by the pandemic, by the fact that everyone went online, that there weren't any more gallery openings, there was no Art Basel, you know, Um, to that end, it's funny, because when I've been thinking about this myself of like, did we know this was coming? or, Or did we expect it to come at this time? And, you know, in the early days of Super Rare, the way most of us communicated was really through Super Rare had a telegram channel. And so I was thinking about this the other day, remembering This conversation I was having with Colby and Rob Ness back in 2019, because I was like, you know, that was when my early days, right? And I was, these guys had been doing it longer than I had been. So I was, I was asking a lot of questions, you know, and just being like, what do you think? How does, does this make sense? Like, how does this all work? You know, doing my best to grok what I was sort of like orienting myself inside of. And I remember them like giving me this pep talk and being like, oh man, Sarah, your art is so awesome. Just wait. This year at Art Basel, there is going to be an NFT panel and you're going to be on it. And Art Basel is when it's all going to happen. And they meant Art Basel 2019, right? Like Art Basel Miami Beach happens in December. So this was like in the spring of 2019, they were like, oh man, we're all going to, that's when we're all going to make it. We're going to get invited to Art Basel and it's going to explode from there. And all this stuff we're doing, you know, that right now we're all selling our work for 50, hundred bucks a pop. Once that happens, once the IRL art collectors get wind of what we're doing here, it's going to explode. And I've been thinking about that so much lately because basically that happened. Like basically what they were predicting happened. It just happened on a different timeline, right? Like, which is the thing of like, I've been a creative, you know, professional creative my entire adult life. And and when I get asked for like advice on that, I just tell people, I'm like, you don't control the timeline, right? Like all you can control is your vision and your drive, but like there's so much outside of your, who could have seen COVID coming, you know? I mean, and it's been weirdly, not that it hasn't been horrible and devastating from like a humanitarian aspect, but again, for those of us in this space, it was this catalyst that exploded crypto art and exploded NFTs and burst this esoteric thing we've all been doing into the exoteric understanding of the world. SNL did a sketch about NFTs, like, what? That's crazy, you know? So, um, and, and the thing I say to people, you know, because again, as I At the end of 2019, we started having people join the space who started making like a couple thousand bucks from their work. And as someone who at the time was selling my work for the the super rare at the time, I sold pretty well that I was making a hundred, 200 bucks here or there. And I saw these people come in and start making like astronomically more money. And I got a little discouraged that I was like, oh, well, man, this sucks. Like, not that their work isn't good. It's, it's, it is, but it's like because people paid attention to statistics a lot, if you sell your work really low at the beginning, a lot of us OGs had to kind of fight that, that like our stats showed our work being worth very little because the entire, the entire scale of what we were doing was so different at the beginning. So you're competing with like these numbers you set at the beginning when everyone was setting those kind of numbers. And because I've, you know, worked through that, have established this you know really wonderful level of value for my work in time it's what i would say to anyone right who like is getting into this you see some of these big bombastic sales just try to view it holistically like these big sales are good for all of us because it brings more people into the space it gets more press coverage what is good for nfts is good for you you are not in competition with any other artist um, that's like old world thinking. You got to kind of let go of, of there is room for everyone here. And um, it's kind of, the again, the old model of like creatives being the, the lowest people on the hierarchy of social wellness. You know, artists have historically been treated very badly and have been forced to fight each other for scraps. It's not like that here. So that's kind of my take on it, right? Of like, we all see it when it's like when a celebrity does a low effort NFT, if you've been in the space for a while, I think that the take to have is like, okay, well, whatever, whatever they want to do, like I'm not going to be buying it as a collector because I know those things, they set their best value the moment they come out and have all the press coverage and then they depreciate and who wants that, you know? So it's like, it's not about you, you know? Um, You have to, you have to really, I think if you want to, if you want to keep doing this long-term and not everyone does, uh, I think for a lot of people, it's just an experiment to see, hey, can I come in and make some money? But if you really see the value of what this is and what it means for creative people, um, then then remember, it's it's a journey, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint, and uh, recognize holistically that what's what's good for NFTs is good for you.
0: Totally, totally agree with that. Um, you know, I, I think I think you bring up a really interesting kind of timely point. Obviously, a lot of celebrities have been entering the space um, with you know uh, qu- with, with uh, varying qualities of nfts. I know that there's a lot of controversy or kind of backlash around Ellen DeGeneres' low effort nft that she uh, that she's selling. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that and also how celebrities can enter the, ta- the space in a tasteful manner.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, my take on that is again, she's doing it for charity, which at least. Is different than the people who come in to just fill their own coffers. And you're like, man, you have so much money than so much more money than any of us. Like, you're really gonna come here and like shake our tree for money. Like, come on. So that's what I'll say for that. Like, at least if they're gonna do it, it's for charity. My issue with the Ellen NFT, like specifically because it's a stick figure of a cat, is she's taking a shit on us. Like, she's making fun of internet culture. She's making fun of like, myself and many of the other artists who've been doing this for a few years, this is like our life's work. And it's not that there isn't, look, I have a great sense of humor. I love memes like anyone. Like this is a very internet native pursuit. It's not about being self-serious, but it is about saying, you're making fun of what we're doing here. And you're an incredibly wealthy, uh, well-known person. You're punching down. That's a terrible look. You're making fun of people who this we're artists who are lifting ourselves up by our own bootstraps and making something for ourselves out of nothing, which is what Ellen did herself. Um, and it's just that of like, come on, man, like it, why are you punching at people below you? Especially, I mean, she has not had a great year PR wise, so it's like kind of just not smart. Um, that's what I'll say about that, and and beyond even that, like to extend it beyond celebrities. With this, you know, with this cultural emergence of NFTs in the past few months, it's not just celebrities. I've seen a lot of it from the fine art world as well. And that's how I entered this space from more of, like, a contemporary fine art practice myself. And uh, so, and I'm very acquainted with a lot of, like, media artists and organizations that support media artists. And I was, that was one of the things I couldn't have foreseen with this sudden excitement around NFTs was how triggered like media arts uh, organizations and and like tastemakers would get about this um, and it's something uh, the artist Andrew Benson had a really good take about this on Twitter and we, we were chatting about it a little bit that um, you know in fine art there is a tradition of institutional critique that uh, you know fine artists it, it's it's like this very much a 20th century tradition of like Okay, so your show is funded by a wealthy baron of industry who probably made their money on, like, oil or something like that. What is funnier or greater than then making your entire show be critical of the oil industry, right? That's that's badass to criticize the money that's funding you. And there was always this kind of understanding, or not always, but, like, in the past maybe 40, 50 years, this understanding uh, between these wealthy entities funding fine art, that that was a way for them to almost like, if not absolve themselves of their sins, it was a way of them to say, see, we funded something critical of us. It was a way of them to culturally elevate themselves. And the reason it worked and the reason it was effective is it was a David and Goliath situation where the artist is the little guy and they're punching up at the big guy. And we'd love to see that. So what has happened is fine art people entering this space thinking well crypto people have all this money they're the big guy they have all this money so i'm going to enter this space in a way where i'm going to come in swinging punching at crypto art making fun of nfts making fun i my first nft is going to be a critique of nfts the difference is you're not punching at a baron of industry crypto is by definition, a decentralized network of individuals. It is not an institution by its very definition. So instead of it coming across as institutional critique, it comes across as you are an established fine artist with a following, with a career, with um, you know this, this uh, position of power you've made for yourself as an artist of good standing. You're coming in to this space that is of space where many artists are for the first time ever getting their opportunity to be recognized as artists or be supported as artists. And you're punching down at them. You're punching down. Like Andrew put it in this great way where he said, it'd be like coming into a party and going, what's up nerds. You're all fucking losers. (sighs) And then, and then expecting everyone to think you're awesome. It's like no one at that party likes you if you do that. So I have witnessed in these past couple months, a number of, respected like people from the fine art space enter the space with that kind of attitude. I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna make fun of the fact that NFTs are just just overblown certificates of authenticity and oh, and they, these NFT people think they're so cool coming in attacking in a way where it's like, cool. well, you're attacking people that you would never let into your system of gatekeeping before. So that's fine if you want to gatekeep, that's your problem, but you just came into our space in a very combative, unfriendly, and privileged way. Don't be surprised if people don't receive that well. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's just been really, um... You know, I, this is like the first time I'm saying any of this publicly and I might, I don't know, I hope it doesn't, I, I'm sure plenty of people will be like, yeah, Sarah, you tell them. And some people might be, might be a little triggered to hear me say that um, because I have been quietly watching it for months and haven't spoken about it too much. Cause I, you know, I have a lot on my play. I have a lot of art to make. I have a lot of stuff going on. I try to spend as little of my time as possible fighting with people on the internet. So um, I have a lot of thoughts that I don't don't put out there (laughs) too much um but uh all of this is to say this actually inspired a collection i just put out called the cassandra complex um about the greek myth of cassandra who you know long story short she was given the gift of prophecy but cursed to never be believed and this emergence of nfts and specifically the way the art world has handled the emergence of nfts keeps just i just this myth has just been so with me lately of this sense of knowing about nfts for years and being sort of like and and no one wanting to spend time on it and going that's that's some weird thing you're into i don't know and now, all of a sudden, it's like it's like uh, uh, Horton hears a who is like the same story, right? Of like no one believes until it's until it's too late. No one believes until now. The market's oversaturated, and now it's very hard to make a mark. And and just dealing with the way that the powers that be, when there is sort of like this prophecy of a new way, or you know, someone saying, "Hey, I think things are going to change." The status quo, by definition, has to resist it and go, absolutely not. We don't want things to change. We like the way that things are because we are empowered in, this, in the way things are. We don't want things to change in a way that disempowers us. I mean, we saw that with the music industry and the rise of, of you know, uh, streaming and and all of these things. So it's all to say, I just think all of it speaks to how transformative this technology is for as simple as it is, it is culturally transformative in a way that it's, it's bringing up a lot of fear in people. And um, so I've, you know, I personally am just doing my best to like, to just see that, understand that. Um, I kind of have a game I play where I try to see everyone as like their five-year-old self. I find it's very like, it helps you be more understanding of people, more understanding of like, oh, they're angry because they're afraid. They're They're having a temper tantrum. They need a snack and a nap. Um, you know, and then, and then you don't feel quite as like attacked by it. Um, so I've been, I've been like evoking that technique a a lot these days.
0: I love that. I might, I might need to try that to be honest. That sounds like a good one. Um, but I think you're giving voice to something that a lot of artists in the space are feeling, you know, certainly ones who are early to it, like yourself. And even, you know, like you said, the the space moves fast, even people who got in just, you know, right before the boom. And it's sort of like, I I think one thing that's really special about the space is how welcoming it is. It seems like people want to give new entrants, the benefit of the doubt, but like nobody wants to be disrespected, you know? And, and it's, it's like, you know, and, and that, and that has been happening.
2: Oh, definitely. A, a curator I was working with on the Cassandra Complex, Kiara Bredati, had a phrase, she, we were talking about this a month or two ago, and she had a phrase that I think is perfect, that she's like, you learn to recognize that it's violence masquerading as activism. And specifically that, you know, coming up around, I had a lot, it was a, it was a wave of anger really with the rise of NFTs and it, there were a lot of sort of like boogeymen that it was being attached to why NFTs were so bad. And, you know, I don't really want to get into all of it. I'm not the, I'm not the best person even to speak to all of it. Um, What I have said when asked about it is just, look, no one is more invested in improving these technologies than those of us who engage with them on a daily basis. And Um, so to have someone who doesn't understand it has only heard about it. Like I, my wife and I were taking a walk and we were talking about it and some strange man, some man in his fifties overheard me talking about cryptocurrency, interrupted us to tell me, did you know that there was, oh, Cedar Sinai got hacked and the, and the hackers made them pay the ransom in Bitcoin. And he just gave me this sort of knowing look like expect. And I was like, okay, what? what's your point? And he was like, well, it Bitcoin and it's criminals use Bitcoin. And I I was like, criminals use U.S. dollars. Like, in fact, probably far more criminals (laughs) use U.S. dollars than Bitcoin. So it's like, that's what I mean. I think that that story really encapsulates uh, it's the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Like the less someone is actually an expert on something, the more confident they are that they know what they're talking about. And that is like so applicable in this wave of anger that got put on artists by people like I had people I, you know, a lot of people that were like I tangentially knew were like or were people who had followed me for a long time on the Internet. I mean, really violently coming for attacking me and. For a long time, my wanting to think of myself as such a reasoned person, and oh, I'd, I'm not afraid of these trolls, and oh, I'll, I'll, I'll change people's minds. And I think what ended up happening for me, at least, and it's what I'd recommend for a lot of artists if they're if they're still dealing with this, is you have to really, when there's that much coming at you at once, you have to learn how to quickly recognize when someone's coming at you with a bad faith argument, and when they're coming at you and they wish you harm, be it. Psychic or physical harm, you know, emotional harm. And if someone is coming at you, attacking you, when they don't know the first thing about you or the first thing about what it is they're attacking you for, because they heard through a friend of a friend of a friend that you're burning down the rainforest, you don't owe them anything. And so I got very handy with the block button uh, because I just—it's not about—it's not about not being accountable by any means. As I said, those of us who engage with this, we are accountable. That's, this is literally our life's work where we, I know no one who's, who does this in a way where they're not thinking about the ramifications, the implications. That's what we're all in it for, right? We see the virtue and value of what we're doing as a future technology. Every future technology is a little awkward and bumpy at the beginning because we're trying to build something of the future with the tools we have available today. It's it's just that. It, it definitely, yeah, I, I, that was something that surprised me. It was something I did not see coming, uh, but when it started happening, it was that feeling of, I guess I should have seen this coming. I guess this is because I'm not an optimist, but I definitely lean into approaching things approaching the future with joy and excitement because I think we have more than enough dystopian vision out there like and my feeling on it is like whatever you envision that's what's going to happen so if we only put out dystopian entertainment and dystopian thoughts about the future and oh our fear about what this technology is going to do to us that's what will happen we need people holding the vision of if not a utopian vision because that's that's not sensible just a vision of like the internet's the greatest tool we've ever had as as humans as essentially just primates who you know f- hopped out of a tree and figured out how to use a rock to smash something like we t- we went from there to now having this internet which is this extension of our nervous system that is allowing each of us now to be a node that connects to one another. Like we are becoming a mass organism and it's terrifying to people because we love the idea of separateness. We love the idea of I'm me and you're you and I have this and you have that and what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours and all of it's separate. And it's, it's like really frightening to people, this thing we're doing of building this global telecommunication system that's just like mushrooms in the forest connecting through their mycelium. Like we are now so connected in a way and and this, and have created this technology so relatively rapidly that that's, I think, all the arguments in human civilization right now come down to which side of that line do you fall on? Are you ready to connect? Are you ready to move forward and ready to be this global civilization? Or would you rather die? And would you rather say, nope, I like my tribe and I hate your tribe and I will die for that. And it's it all boils down to that, right? So this is just yet another um, way that that sort of intense growing pain is bubbling up for people and causing a lot of fear and a lot of anger.
1: Yeah, no, I really love how you went about breaking that down. I mean, I, I do think it is interesting because there is some elements of polarization, but I think on the... It's, it's the the people that are making worthwhile authentic great contributions towards bringing this to to reality bringing this into a more mainstream capacity that that is more kind of endorsed by the the mass market um in a, in a tasteful and thoughtful way so I, i'm curious from your perspective too like um, you spoke to growing pains. I think that's a very eloquent way of, of framing it because it is growing. It'll continue to grow. And inevitably, there will continue to be growing pains in this journey. But in that same regard, like what do you think are some of the, the things that will continue to happen or that need to happen that will continue to drive massive growth um, and kind of mainstream adoption of NFTs?
2: That's an interesting thing to think about. You know, it brings to mind uh, a tweet. My my friend, fellow crypto artist, Matt Kane tweeted a maybe a month or two ago about how at the beginning of crypto art, we were Pangea, right? That it was like everyone in crypto art kind of knew everyone else. We all could kind of see the, see the borders of this little land we were occupying in the metaverse. Um, and even if we didn't know everyone intimately, there was just like, you could say a name and I'd be like, yeah, I know I'm aware of that person and the work they're doing. Uh, You know, he said this right around the time that like all the big celebrity drops started happening and the Beeple sale happened. And he was saying, you know, we now have continental drift that like it's not all one continent anymore, that we have now broken off into all these little continents. And now you really can't know the the border or boundary of this thing anymore because it's like the universe. It's exploding. It's rapidly expanding so much that it's like, I can't, there's no way I can now keep track of everyone who's involved in this. Again, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, right? Uh, It might surprise people to know based on, you know, that my work is so heavily um, referential to nostalgia and old technology that I am actually not, not exactly a nostalgic person. Like I, it's to say that um, while I embrace things of the past, I embrace them in a way that for me is about looking to the future. And I think that, you know, of course, it's easy to look at that and go, oh, man, yeah, it was all so simple back then. And that was nice. But this is nice, too. Like, this is nice in a different way. It's really cool that uh, there's such mass adoption, rapid adoption. I think that it's less about what needs to happen and what will inevitably happen, right? That Ethereum is scaling up. Ethereum is going to add layer two and gas fees are going to change. That is going to be like a tidal wave of change because right now so much of what we're doing is contained by the fact that it's a little expensive, especially for artists who are new to the space a little expensive to mint work and to engage with this you know that's what i was saying about this is still a relatively new technology and it's bumpy we're in the like 1994 internet era of of this of this crypto crypto art thing we're doing so you know i know that there are changes planned for this summer uh, in july that are going to change the ethereum network and then you know even these these bigger network changes and um As I said, just like thinking about all of this holistically, it's why I also would encourage any artist doing this that it's like you are part of such a vast unknowable ecosystem. Uh, Like we're all in one big pond together, and even if you're way far away, if someone drops a giant boulder on the other side of the pond, those ripples are going to hit you. Like right now, even I've I've seen a lot of artists talking about. Uh, that their sales have died down, that we're having this inevitable dip because of those big bombastic celebrity sales uh, back in March. It it first created, again, it was a boon for everyone. Everyone was making lots of sales. And then just like the Ethereum chart itself, uh, sales for crypto art go up and down. Collectors get more conservative with what they're spending money on. And um, so I just remind people that if you really want to do this long term, don't get, don't get your panties in a knot over like, you know, that right now sales are a little slow. I am aware there's a certain privilege in being able to say that obviously, if this is like how you are paying your rent, that is stressful. Right. And that would also be uh, something I would say to people is like, at the beginning, you need to crawl before you walk, just because you see people making lots, big figures doesn't mean you should expect that at the beginning. Some some artists are able to do that with the second they drop their first NFT, if they're coming in because they have a million Instagram followers and they have, you know, they're translating their success in other spaces to this space. But for the average artist, regardless of the quality of your artwork, your artwork may be of great quality, um, just have measured expectations, right? Like, Like I, for for over a year, had to crawl before I could walk. I was selling my work for very low amounts. Um, And uh, even for a long time, like the auctions became so popular on Super Rare. My work is very different from everyone else's, especially back then. There are more artists working with analog now that I see in the space. But really, I think my work stands on its own. And so people could understand, oh, this is 3D art or, oh, that's 2D animation. And then they get to Sarah's work and they're like, I don't know, this is like alien something crazy cuckoo. And it either was like in a good way or in like a, I don't know what it is. I'm not, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to stay away from it. And so for a while, I just sold my work all last summer. Every new piece, my role was, I'm just going to put a list price of one ETH on it because I think that's a very fair price and based on my sales. And it eliminates all this pomp and circumstance that, uh, while it can be wonderful if it works for you, uh, is actually a deterrent to collectors if you're sort of not there yet as an artist. I'd spoken with a number of my collectors who said, yeah, I wanted to get your piece, but I didn't want to get into an auction. I didn't want to get into a bid war. I didn't want to do all that. I just wanted to buy it. And so... I offer that up because I see uh, a lot of people who enter this space now matching themselves to standards being set by artists who are just at a different place in their practice and at a different place in their visibility. And and I think that um, everyone should feel okay to be where they are and to go, you're not wrong if you set a list price. If you think this would be a fair price. I'd be okay with this, and you put that less price on, and then you make that sale. That is going to feel a lot better than putting an auction on it and never making the sale. Uh, you also only build a sales record by making sales, so you have to balance that, of course, with the with the uh, with the wisdom that like don't sell your work for less than what it's worth. Value yourself, price accordingly. But part of valuing yourself is recognizing. You are the only you, and you are not the same as these other artists making these other big sales. So seeing what other people are doing is a great way to educate yourself. But at the end of the day, in this space, you have to forge your own path. And if that is too frightening or too um, anxious making a proposition for you, then maybe, maybe this is not a space that is ideal for your temperament, Um it would be my advice. I, I certainly don't ever want to tell anyone like, hey, no, you're not cut out for this. But um, I do think that there's such a language of positivity around crypto. I always think about it. It's like in Peter Pan, right? That if you don't clap hard enough, Tinkerbell will die. That is how cryptocurrency works. We're all saying to each other, clap harder, clap harder. I need the ETH price to go up. Like. And the same is true then with crypto art, right? And I think for people entering the space, if they're not acquainted to that, if they don't realize that Twitter is a form of public relations, they're taking what are essentially illusions and taking them for truth. And going, what people are saying is true about their art or about their sales is not necessarily the entirety of the truth. It's not that they're being dishonest. You're just not seeing the whole picture. So um, you just have to keep that in mind. I know. I, I know. I uh, deviated from your question a little bit, but I, I felt this uh, coming through me, and I felt like you know, um, I'm I'm always being asked for for advice from people, and and I just think that that's. That's one I just don't see being put out there enough that it's like everyone hammers home. Oh, do an auction. Do it Coldly style. Do it this way. Do it that way. Ask for more money. Don't sell unless you get more money. And it's like, yes, but also a sale is better than not a sale. So like, you know, I try to bring a little more of that side of just like we're human beings here, right? Like we have... Artists are very sensitive human beings, too. They're taking us all in, and I see people get themselves very like worked up uh, based on this hall of mirrors we're all we're all participating in. And um, yeah, I just I'd like to see people try to try to uh, synthesize it all a little better.
0: I think that's really sound advice. Um, and I think you bring like a really insightful perspective too, you know, having having been in it, you know, before the boom and and seeing sort of, you know, these seeing, seeing how the market has evolved. And um, yeah, I, you know, any any aspiring artists, people trying to look into the space, I think, you know, that's some really like valuable um pointers you you just gave. Um, I think to kind of close things out, one thing I'd love to to really hear too is, you know, I think it's fascinating that like, you know, you started with GIF art thinking about Tumblr as like the canvas or like or not the canvas almost like the gallery where you would display it. And like, I remember seeing, you know, doing like analog video, all these kind of throwback film, like, you know, like retro imagery, you know, which I think is super cool. And I remember, I think I saw a tweet recently where you were talking about how cool it was to see some of your art being displayed in the metaverse. Um, and I was curious to hear, like, as an artist and a creator, does, does that new gallery or does that new sort of like format, how does that change how you're making your art now, now that like, like, is that, is that inspiring you to sort of like push, push things in different directions now that it can like live in that, in its own kind of like immersive world?
2: The answer is yes and no. I mean, everything about this is a feedback loop, right? Like I I think any artist, like we're a prism, like we're the prism through which the universe shines. You know that that as an artist, your role is to always be intuitive to what's going on and and the life you're living and and like your work should morph and change and grow because of your lived experience. That being said, I don't want to say to my credit, but almost just it's a lot of a lot of all of this. It's not that it's luck. It's just that this whole pursuit has been so suited to me and my specific gifts and my specific approach um, that I have always played with a sense of like virtual physicality with my work because so much of my work, you know, the screen itself is part of the art uh, that I film an old TV screen to get the look of some of my pieces and uh, that VHS is a physical medium. So, so much of what you're seeing in my art is that I'm manipulating a physical medium uh, in a way that then becomes inside this, it goes in and out of the screen, right? So it's all to say that I personally haven't shifted my work a ton with that consideration only because I feel that my work was already very well suited to that application. Um, what has been very interesting for me, like speaking of Tumblr, right, of like as someone uh, who had a certain degree of visibility on Tumblr in its heyday. And this is a discussion a lot of us have been kind of having lately on Twitter, those of us who were very active or, or visible on Tumblr, um, that the thing about that was always like, okay, cool, my GIF got 20,000 views, 20,000 retweets or whatever, reblogs, and, uh, or, or I made it on the Tumblr radar, hooray, like everyone sees my work. And I remember the high of that, of being like, oh my God, I'm on the Tumblr radar, so many people can see my work. And that fit into this old model that um, it's the artist writer Rips actually made a chart of this that I, I reference it all the time, that the old model used to be, and by old model, I mean like the social media era model, which were like past already, which is kind of trippy, it was make good work, wait for emails. That was how, as an artist, like I was a professional artist, right? I was in that rarefied position of supporting myself primarily from my creative practice um, at a time before crypto art. And so that's what that looked like was getting on the Tumblr radar was this exciting thing because it meant all of a sudden, all these new eyes are seeing my work, seeing what I do And it's going to lead to emails. It's going to lead to people emailing me and commissioning me to make art for their album or commissioning me to do a gift series for their uh, bottled water or whatever. You know, like, not that that's like, that's why I laugh because it's like some of the commercial work I did was stuff that it's like, it was exciting because it was exciting to get paid for my art, but it was like pretty demeaning on a certain level, like to be, have to be a shill for a corporation that you don't really believe in. But at that time, the thinking was like, man, nobody else, I know no one else who's made it this far. I know a lot of people who'd give their eye teeth to be in the position to get paid to make a gift to shill bottled water, you know? Uh, So that's what that used to look like. And what is so fascinating about this era, specifically, that- you know, that we're all on Twitter now. Like I was on Twitter in like 2009. I, I deleted my Twitter account, like 2011, like Twitter is old. Um, but we've kind of like found this, this renaissance of Twitter because of how it plugs into crypto art. I think Twitter art and Twitter and crypto art are, are linked very much. Like it's part of how we, how we weave this web and how we make sure, uh, you know, Because the platforms don't have messaging systems or their own sort of social media system built in. And to answer your previous question, Sam, that's one of the things I think we've yet to see is when are we going to see the fusion of NFTs and social media? Because whoever cracks that code, that is going to be a whole new thing, because there are a lot of us who are who have uh, social media techniques that that like would really benefit us if they if we had them sort of social media built into the platforms. Um, So now we're using this kind of ad hoc system of we tweet about it and then it leads to sales or it leads to bids on the platforms. And, you know, we're we're creating our own little ecosystem using a variety of different websites and different platforms. Um, And like, uh, for example, so my my collection The the Cassandra Complex sold very quickly. I was very, uh, it exceeded my expectations. I was was very happy about that. Um, It was on Blank Art, which is a newer platform. Um, I intend to keep releasing on the other platforms as well. I'm platform agnostic. Ultimately, what excites me about Blank Art is I was able to create my own custom smart contract for this collection. So, this contract will only ever have these 49 tokens on it and they are self-contained in a way. So I think that that is something blank art offers. That's very exciting to me. And, um, You know, one of the pieces from this collection is called The Queen Says No, right? And based on what we were all talking about earlier about, like, this backlash against NFTs in this story, it's the idea of, like, the person in power is, like, absolutely not. We can't have this. It's going to change things. So it's this sort of, like, drag queen inspired figure with her, like, long nails being, like, a new way Um, and for me, one of my biggest avenues of visibility has always been Giphy. I've been working with Giphy, putting my work on Giphy since, since it was created in 2012. It very much, I've always had this symbiotic relationship with it. It has been, again, very, um, beneficial to me in terms of visibility, in terms of that old model of make good work, wait for emails, but I never my gifts have—I have 6.5 billion views of my gifts on Giphy, and I have no way of monetizing that directly. So I, I tweeted about this the other day because it's—it really for me encapsulates what my crypto art journey and you know uh, embracing NFTs as an organic evolution of my art practice. What it has done for me is the sticker I made of this Queen figure was trending during the Oscars which means everyone on TikTok, Instagram, and Snapchat, when they go to use a GIF, they see it. It's one of the like recommended GIFs. So it led to me getting 25 million views of this GIF that night. And I love that. I Part of me is always going to want, uh, you know, I didn't become a digital artist to become rich. I became a digital artist because it's a calling. It's It's what I'm called to do. It's just called to express myself in this way. This new part of it where I can actually support myself from it is like awesome. But it was never the intention a decade ago. I was never I wasn't like, you know what? If I make gifts, I bet I bet that's gonna be pff, that's gonna be how I'm gonna become a billionaire. um and And I would wager that most people doing this and and I would I urge people to keep this in mind that we are artists first, that we're we're sensitive. Uh, creative people who just want to put beauty in the world at least for me, at least speaking for myself that's why I make these gifts they're these things that are I, very funny that people enjoy they brighten people's day and they can use them in their own social media to like punctuate what they're trying to say and I like love that 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 gives me great joy But for many years, you know, I couldn't put food on my table from that joy. So so I was pointing out that it's like 25 million people used this GIF and enjoyed this GIF and delighted in this GIF, but only the eight collectors who collected the limited edition NFT own this image, own this GIF and own uh, this this thing, you know, it'd be like the difference between having a poster of the Mona Lisa or owning the Mona Lisa, you know, And and I sort of pointed out the poetry of the fact that nothing has changed in terms of how I share my art with the world. I'm still letting people enjoy and use and share my art, but now I have this other means of building a collector base and of creating these these scarce digital assets that are essentially prints or editions of my art. And the fact that this thing got 25 million views gives it a cultural value that actually amplifies the value of those NFTs. So it's this incredible like continuum between the image itself and its cultural visibility and the NFT. And, you know, people were always laughing about the right click save as guy right you know it's like you either get it or you don't you either get that the fact that the image is incredibly uh widespread means it's a valuable image or you think digital artists are crap and don't deserve to be (laughs) celebrated or or deserve to have any sort of profit share from these things we create that are making the social media companies very rich Um, so it's, it's just a really interesting time to be an artist and specifically a, a screen-based artist.
0: Totally agree, Sarah. You know, I think you bring up some really, really like compelling points and things we you know discussing uh, and thinking about the idea that you know NFTs allow creators to sort of capture the value that they've created, but previously couldn't really share. And um, and you know, I think you speak really, really eloquently to to that to that journey from go being able to to you know sort of have this means to an end of like, okay, I'm making art to be able to get client work to support my ability to make art versus having your be able to make a living off your own creative vision. Um, and I think that. That's, that's uh, one of the most beautiful things about the space. Yeah, I mean, this has been a, an amazing conversation. Really thankful to have you on. So thank you for joining us.
2: Yeah, thank you guys for having me and, and listening to all my thoughts.
0: That <laughs> no, was
1: amazing. Keep up the great work. We'll see you soon. Thanks. Man, shots fired. Ellen, yeah. you're going down. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It was uh, very thoughtfully and eloquently said. I think it's... Uh, And I'm glad she really called it like it is. I know there's been a conversation that a lot of the kind of diehard community has really been conscious of and and trying to protect and and speak out about. And I think she just does a very great job at eloquently speaking to um, how, uh, from a positive note, how to properly engage, how to leverage influence to uplift community, to to drive growth in in a thoughtful and tasteful way. What stood out to you, Matt?
0: Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. You know, I think that she, you know, she really spoke from the heart. You could you could tell that uh, that that she was truly passionate about this space and 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 uh, really just wants to protect it. And uh, I think that that she spoke, uh, she gave voice to sentiments that I think a lot of artists in the space can can uh, can empathize with. And you know, one other thing I thought was really interesting was we got uh, a new perspective on the podcast from an OG artist. You know, I, I thought it was really interesting to hear her thoughts about um, you know as the prices rose, uh, the fact that some of the OG artists because they had been early and trading at, at lower prices kind of felt like they were in catch-up mode I, I hadn't heard heard that sentiment expressed before so i definitely learned something there and you know I, I think that she gave some really really great um perspectives on uh on you know sort of the future of the space and and the community lies at the heart of it uh, as we got as we got towards the end of the podcast as well
1: yeah well special shout out to Sarah everything she's done with the community and continues to do super grateful she came on today and also super grateful for you all for for listening for tuning in so appreciate the time the attention and we'll be back next week until then we out